0: make it. I still would like to thank you for those who will view or are viewing online. Um, We're still in the book of Genesis and we're in a good chapter. We've seen a lot of things in the book of Genesis. We've seen God create the world. We've seen the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind. Uh, Satan has tricked um, the priesthood uh, that is set there, which is Adam who is akin to a priest king over Eden, and he has lost um, his estate. He has lost his position. And now we see that they are driven from the Garden of Eden, and they are now moving on with life, life after Eden, life on the outside. So we're going to read a little bit, and we're going to start about Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to go down and then go from there. So if you like, it, you can read with me. And it says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. but you must master it. Let's go to verse eight and we'll we'll start from there. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now we see something. We see the beginning of worship, don't we? First thing we see is that the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and that word knew in the biblical sense is the word "yada." And yada means to know in a most complete way is the best way to say that, that the union of a husband and wife uh, is the deepest level of intimacy. And it applies to know somebody fully in ways others do not. Uh, It's a sacred act. And that's one of the things and jewels we find in the book of Genesis that the union and physical union between male and female is a blessing. And it is something that God has blessed and that the world has cheapened and made sort of transactional um but mentally spiritually and socially uh this is an act that has a deep impact and adam and eve have have engaged this way and out of that is produced the first human with a belly button i don't know if you ever thought about it but adam and eve don't need a belly button because they don't have an umbilical cord (laughs) So we have the first human with a belly button named Cain. And we see in this scene that there is still worship going on. Adam was a tiller of the ground, but he was not only a tiller of the ground, but the Lord said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And Adam has been for bringing produce out of Eden, but the work wasn't laborious. And now it's laborious. And we see now that Cain is following um, some in his father's footsteps and he is bringing worship. It's important for us to know that this is a worship setting that Cain and Abel, which are brothers, are engaging in. And the Bible says that Cain brought, uh, Cain brought uh, some fruit from the land. Now, some people uh, and some theologians would uh, actually say that the reason that this is not acceptable is because it's not a blood sacrifice and that Cain brought not a, a not blood sacrifice, but and Abel brought a blood sacrifice, and you could argue over that fact. But if we see Leviticus 2, we know there is a such thing as a grain offering. So that kind of pokes holes in that theory. So there are offerings that are given of thankfulness to God that are not necessarily blood offerings, but we can see uh some things inside of the scripture that will let us see some things. Uh, about why Cain's worship is rejected uh and I will submit to you that it was simply because his worship was mediocre if you look at the type of of offerings that are given between Cain and Abel it says did you notice something about how it was described if you go to Genesis chapter uh four and you look at it it said um And Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it said, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Do you notice that? He brought something, but he didn't bring his first fruits. He didn't bring his best. He didn't put any thought or any effort into it. Cain brought religion. If you see them sitting side by side, you will look at two different types of worship, which we can translate to worship today. We see dry religion. <clears throat> where we do things out of shape and out of form and out of habit, we habitually do things. Some people habitually come to church. If that's your, your case, continue to habitually come, and hopefully one day you'll catch on fire. But some people come and they offer God something, even in their giving or even in their worship, and it's not really received well by with God because as we see in the Old Testament, a very old scripture, but it has a lot of truths in there. It says, man looks at the outside appearance, what? But God looks at what? The heart. And the Bible says that while faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. And we see in the hall of faith in Hebrews. And you got you can go back later and look at that in your study. Hebrews 11 and four. It begins to talk about all those people who were uh, obedient to God. And around verse seven, I believe, or somewhere around there, it says that Cain, uh, by faith, Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. In other words, he had obedience if you look at what they're talking about in the book of hebrews chapter 11 it's talking about people who were obedient and followed god's instructions by what faith so we can deduce from that that god has already given some what instructions on how he is to be worshiped god has given some instructions on things and got and abel has given the best it says that abel it gives a detailed description abel brought the fat portions from the what the firstborn of his flock. So even when we're in our giving, do we give God what's right? Or as one of my friends used to say, they would always say, hey, I want you to hold your offering in your right hand. And I want you to hold that up in your right hand. And they said, the reason I asked you to do that is because I want you to give God what's right and not what's left. (laughs) And, And what they were trying to get us to think about is our attitude towards our giving, our attitude, because giving is a part of worship, our attitude towards our living and our prayer. Do we give God the first fruits of our day or do we give God what's left? Even in our devotionals and our worship at nighttime, do we wake up and, and spend a few extra moments? You might not be a night person, but do we give God our best when we are at our best? Ask yourself, when am I at my best? Am I at my best at night uh, when I'm up and bright awake or am I at, at my best in the morning? And what gets my best? If I'm at best in the morning and I'm a morning person, does God get the first fruits of my day? (laughs) Or does my job get the first fruits of my day? Does everything else get the first fruits of my day? What if I took an extra 30 minutes, got up 30 minutes earlier and gave God the best that I have to offer? Even in my offering, does God get the best of what I have to give? uh, Or does he get what I have left after I've given to everybody else? Just how we give says just as much to God as what we give. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, that let each man give at his what? Purpose in his heart to give, not under compulsion, but for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. In other words, he's saying he loves people who give with the right reason. That's time, that's talent, and that's treasure. And we see that Cain is not doing that. And, And that scripture for those who need it is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver, and I want you to know that the quality of our offering is revealed in the quality of our hearts. It's not necessarily always the amount, but the intent of our heart. The intent of our heart will affect the amount because if our heart is right, we're going to give out of the love and the abundance of our heart, and, and, and that's what God is really seeking: is our heart. And so, this does not mean that we give uh, someone else's best. In other words. Uh, I'm reminded of the, the widow that gives the, the mite or the, the $32, the penny that other people gave more than that widow, but she gave all she had. And what was really happening is she was given from her what? From a heart. She gave the best. And people say, well, I'm going to give the Lord from my heart and I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a dollar. Well, well that, that, that is from your heart. But I don't know how abundant that is. If that's all you have in your heart and you have a million dollars, that's not a very, very good posture toward God. Now, if all you have is five dollars, that may be a different subject. If all you have is this or and I don't mean all you have as opposed to I just wasted the rest and this is what's left. But the goal is even with our time, am I giving God all the time I could give him? Not just in service to the church and doing things in the church. But am I being salt and light in the community? How am I worshiping God with my time? This is a deep topic to think about. It does mean that we give our best, not someone else's, but our best. And giving and worship is a personal and an intimate event. Uh, We should search our motives. I wrote this down, and this is important. We should search our motives to see if we are giving the best we can give or doing the best that we can do. I never ask anything of anyone that they're not capable of doing. God wants your best. He's not trying to get you to keep up with the ministry down the street or the church down the street. He's not trying to get you to keep up with the family down the street. But he's trying to get you to do your best. Everybody said my best. And and so we see that. So we see juxtaposed in Hebrew uh, Genesis chapter four, verses six through seven. We see that Abel is mad. He's mad. Because he gave something God something half-hearted, and now Abel has gained favor with God or approval with God, and he hasn't gained favor. So if you'll see in those notes that I gave you, I put a question there. How do we handle correction? How you handle correction says a lot about you. When, when, When you see rejection coming, and rejection said that's not good enough, that there's a standard and you're not meeting that standard, how do you deal with that? Because that says a lot about you. How do we take correction says more about us than how we handle compliments and affirmation. Everybody loves the good stuff. Everybody loves the good stuff. If you're looking for it, it's under the Genesis notes. It's right here about the one, two, three, fourth paragraph down. How do we handle those things? That's something that we need to ask ourselves. Do we take it as a personal attack or do we take it as a roadmap to a better us? Sometimes even people who mean ill of you your critics might be right, and how and how mature you are from taking correction determines how high you will elevate. Because if you are too sensitive to be able to take the truth, even when it makes you uncomfortable, it says that you will not be able to grow. Do we take it to a roadmap to a better us, or do we take the truth as an, a personal attack? God rejected Cain's efforts, but he did not reject Cain. You notice that a lot of times when somebody tells us the truth and it's a rejection of our behavior, we automatically think it's a rejection of what us, And we do that because sometimes we're infantile in our thinking and we have not become mature enough to know a rejection of a behavior is not necessarily the rejection of the person. I love my children. I might reject some of their behavior and say that behavior is not acceptable, but that does not mean I'm going to put my children out in the cold and make them sleep in the snow tonight. That is not what that means. But God does have acceptable behavior and none what? Acceptable behavior. There's things that please God and there are things that what? Displease God. And we have to realize that when God says to us in his word that this is not pleasing to me, it is not a rejection of us, but it is a rejection of that sin and of that behavior. And if we will submit to God and accept him, He would do those things. He would clean us up and he would accept us. But what we have to realize is that we can't make God accept us on our terms. We don't get to give. If God told us, if God spoke personally to your heart and said, I want you to go beyond your tithe, Lath or Brother Denny, and I want you to give 30 percent and you know you can do it or whatever the case may be. I want you, Brother Dave, to spend five hours out feeding the homeless or that, and you know what you're capable of doing, but you say, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. God doesn't have to accept your sacrifice. But what you can't get mad at is when somebody walks in the door and does what God wants them to do. And all of a sudden it seems like they shot up overnight and God's elevating those people. But God sees the posture of their what? Heart. And what Cain is saying to God is, I give you what I want to give you when I want to give it to you, you're not as important to me. I'll give you something, not my first, but if I show up in service, you ought to be glad. If I give anything, you ought to be glad. If I, if I go to the hospital and visit any sick people, you ought to be glad. If I, if I leave my family in a devotional once every year, you ought to be glad, God, that should be good enough for you. And, can't, and Abel says, no, God, I'm going to give you the best I have to what? Give. That should be our attitude toward God. As a believer, do I perceive correction or rebuke from a spiritual or a secular leader as an instruction or an attack on me personally? How many times has somebody gotten a review at work and they had correction on the review and rather than introspectively looking at it and saying there could be some truth there, I could grow. They went directly to some of their counterparts and started complaining about the boss. And then they wonder why the boss is out to get me and I'm not getting promoted because he has something against me. But no, God wasn't rejecting Cain because we see he says, if you do not, well, will I not accept? He's reaching out in mercy to Cain, saying, I'm not telling you I won't accept your sacrifice. I just won't accept the one you brought. (laughs) But if you'll go and bring back your best to me. I will accept it. We see that in the scripture, don't we? God says, why are you downcast? If you do well, will you not be what? Accept it. But what God is saying is, I'm not gonna lower my standard for you. And how often have we lowered our standards just because we want people in the door, instead of saying, this is God's standard, we're going to keep God's standard, even if we don't meet it ourselves, his standard is his standard, and we walk in full grace when we don't meet it, but we're not going to lower the standard, the standard is what it is, everybody say it is what it is, so how you grow in life, you can take this personally or professionally, determines on how well you handle criticism and rejection of your behavior, have you ever felt or found yourself angry at God for promoting somebody else instead of promoting you? Have you ever thought about the fact that the way God promoted them, he may have even have something bigger for you, has little to do about their performance and has more to do about yours. Has little to do about their faithfulness and has more to do about what? yours. Well, I'm, I'm going to pick on somebody. I, I can't see why he used brother Dave all the time. He is other people in the church beside brother Dave. I use a lot of people. I'm just using brother Dave. Cause he's right here in my, in my, in my purview, but uh, as an example, but it's snowing outside and brother Dave's sitting right there. I can count on brother Dave, <laughs> brother Dave doesn't make excuses. Brother Dave makes it happen. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, I see other people in the in in the places and things like that. And that's not to say if you didn't come in the snow uh that that you're a bad person, you're still going to heaven. Don't don't feel bad. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm making an example of Brother Dave's level of faithfulness may be a different level from this other person and that faithfulness gets rewarded. But what do we tend to do? We don't look at what Brother Dave, we don't stop and introspectively say maybe this brother, this sister has been working faithfully in the church or the ministry for a long time. Maybe I'm just now seeing God elevate them, but I'm seeing the fruits of faithfulness over their lifespan. And I'm seeing what God is elevating them to, but I don't see all the stuff they've done across their life. And they've been faithful, and now I'm giving them favor with people. But what do we generally tend to do? We get mad at those people, don't we? So I put a question here. How many opportunities or relationships might I rescue or enrich by taking an honest, introspective look at myself? Your next steps can be your best steps if you approach correction in a mature way. You might have a better marriage if you stop looking at everything your spouse says as an attack and say, you know what? There might be some truth to what they say. Maybe I should work on that. For spouses all across America that are listening, if you can't say amen, (laughs) say ouch. (laughs) Sometimes maybe I there's some truth to what they say, and maybe I should always stop being infantile and, and, and offended and taking everything, stop making my spouse pay for being honest. They say, when you do this, it bothers me. And then I go into a tirade why it shouldn't bother you. Whether or not I feel it shouldn't bother you does not change the fact that it would. Duh. So maybe I, instead of trying to convince you why you shouldn't be bothered by it, Maybe I should find a way possibly to try to work and be cooperative and not make you upset. Man went to a doctor. The doctor, he told the doctor, doctor, my arm arm hurts when I do this. You know what the doctor told him? Don't do that anymore. (laughs) Maybe. And I'm going to read this again because somebody needs to hear this. And, if, and and I want you to put an amen in the chat if this hits you like it hit me. How many opportunities or relationships might I rescue or enrich by taking an honest, introspective look at myself? Your next steps could be your best steps if you approach correction in a mature way. People who nobody can ever correct or tell anything will always be at the same level. You can yell at your boss, you can say what you want, but at the end of the day, you might be smarter than them, but they're still your boss. You can do whatever you want and say, I need this to be accepted, but if God says, I want it this way, that's the way. He wants it. And don't you see the love of God? Here he is with mankind again, asking questions that that he already knows the answer to. Cain, why is your face like this? What he's trying to do is say, Cain, take a look at your what? So the problem is not that I won't accept you. The problem is that you're not obedient. And if you're obedient, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do what, what needs to be done. How often are we hating on people who have millions of dollars or have or, or who have mega ministries or whatever you don't know what it took those people to get where they are you don't know how many sleepless nights you don't know how many sacrifices they did how many toilets they watched you look at somebody with a large ministry and you turn your nose up and say i'm not into the mega church thing you don't know how much sacrifice they've had they had to do to get where they are you don't know how many times they've had people walk off and leave them in their ministry you don't have know how many times they've had to start over from scratch because what was successful, uh, 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 would, would go and, and, and explode and implode and how many times they have to start over. But you see them in a successful ministry and the first thing you do is start attacking their ministry. That's not God. That's not God's purpose. God gives each according to what he wills. And if you, some, some people, if you do the same things that they were doing... You might have what they had. Don't be upset because somebody has a nice car. You don't know how long it took them to fix their credit. You don't know how long they they had to watch other people go out to eat while they didn't go out to eat. You don't know how long it took them to watch other people get houses while they scrimped and saved and fixed their credit and paid off old bills and did all other stuff. And and how long they rented in an apartment while they watched all their friends get, get new houses. And all of a sudden, they get a house and people turn sideways but you don't know what it took for them to get there. If you did what they did, you might have what they have and you don't know their heart posture toward it. They might've been praying and being grateful to God for what they had. And God said, you know what, since you've been set faithful over a few things. And even though this house is rented, you treat it like your own and you keep better care of it than the person that owns it. I'm going to bless you with something better. Because you've been faithful over a few things or you preached whatever preacher out there is listening when there was only a few people in the crowd and you and you still went on anyway. I'm going to bless you later on down the line. And and it may not be in a large church. It may be in some other things. But if you be faithful unto death, I'll give you what a crown of life. But Abel is doing this and Cain is not. So we have to ask ourselves, where does that jealousy comes from? It comes from arrogance and self-centeredness we start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think the bible didn't say to think less of ourselves but it did tell us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think and cain thought who does he think he is god listens to him god accepted his sacrifice and he rejected mine but he told you cain if you just make these few minor adjustments somebody said make the adjustment I'm talking to somebody, and I don't know who I'm talking to, but you're wanting to be used in in ministry or church. You're wanting to be used at your job. And you have been told time and time again you got a bad attitude, but you won't fix it. Make the adjustment. Somebody's struggling in something in their marriage, and you've seen good examples of good marriages, but you you want to be strong-willed, you, you want to be bullheaded, or you want to let your ego in the way, or your strong femininity in the way, and, and you want to look good in front of everybody else while everything's falling apart on the inside, make the adjustment. You, you want to be rich. You want to be well off. But but you in a car that you know you can't afford in a house, you know, you can't afford. And if you sell that house in that car, you're worried about what somebody else will say or what they will think. Nobody cares what they think. Make the adjustment. When you figure out you made a mistake, fix it. Just make the adjustment and move forward. There are better days ahead if you just make the adjustment. How this story would have ended so differently if Cain had made a simple adjustment. That's it. God himself told him. He says, if you do what is right, verse 7. Let's read that. Genesis 4, verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. How do you master sin? That's the question I ask. By doing what is what? Right. That's all you got to do. Do what is right. Pull up James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to get over to James real quick because that's a i want to be able to read that aloud james chapter 4 verse 7 i'm still flipping in case they don't get it on the screens, but they got it there fast and i can flip how about that it says what submit yourselves then to god resist the devil and he will flee from you do what is what right God said, if you do what is right, will I not accept you? So how do you master sin? Simply by doing what is right. Cain did not receive the word of the Lord. He yielded to his own jealousy and to his own hatred. While you're in the book of James, team back there, go to James chapter 1, verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. James 1 and 14. They're already there. I'm just going to let them flip. They got it. Let's read it. What did it say? But each person is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed by their own evil desire and enticed. I added some words there, but you can read it on the screen. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. He had a choice to make. All he had to do was make a simple adjustment. If I was going to take a text tonight, And I'm not. But if I was going to preach this, I would preach. Make the adjustment. (laughs) Somebody put that in the chat room. If you're listening to this, even today or tomorrow, I, I need to know you're hearing me make the adjustment. God reject. He rejected the straight word from God. And God is granting a chance for Cain to deal with his mistakes, to achieve optimal results. We must turn our primary focus from the enemy without. And we must turn our attention to the enemy within Pull up Romans chapter 7 back there. Romans chapter 7. We're going to go to Romans chapter 7, verse 15. But I want you to see that. I'm going to say that again. To achieve optimal results. You can take this to life or business. This is so practical and so wonderful, y'all. To achieve optimal results, we must turn our primary focus from the enemy without, and we must turn our uh, attention to the enemy within. The devil didn't make you do it. Sometimes we are our own what? Worst enemy. Paul says, and we're going to go verse 15 through 20. It says, what? I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. Wow. Paul is saying it's my own what fault. Let's keep reading. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living where? In me. Oh wow. For I wait now stop for a second. Paul said, didn't he? But he says it's sin living what? In me. I still have to fight the sinful nature just because I got saved doesn't mean that sin nature. My soul is going to heaven, but I still got a sin nature. I got to fight. Let's keep reading. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. (laughs) Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. We see the devolution of mankind. That's what we're starting to see from one impulsive decision. One woman makes one impulsive decision. She ignores the word from God. She ignores the word from her what? Husband. And a husband is asleep on the job from that one impulsive decision. Have you ever made an impulsive decision that has catastrophic results? I'm pretty sure everybody in here can nod their head. Yes. And somebody's probably thinking, one. (laughs) I have made many impulsive decisions with credit cards or with people or with situations or with controlled substances or all sorts of things. And that one impulsive decision has changed my life. What forever. And so we see the devolution of, of, of of mankind coming down and God will see in Genesis nine, how God deals with that. But we see when you disobey God, things don't get better. They get what worse. So rather than deal with his internal structure, struggles and correct his behavior, I know this is helping somebody tonight. If it's not helping you, it's helping me. Cain chose to attack someone else. I'm going to stop right here and say, if this is blessing you tonight and you have your phone, even if you're in this room, if you have it on Facebook, share this because this is going to bless somebody tonight because this is a powerful phrase right here. Rather than deal with his internal struggles and correct his behavior, Cain chose to attack somebody else shifting the blame did not solve the problem refusing to accept truth and accountability only led him down a darker path he shed innocent blood and we know from leviticus chapter 17 so at verse 10 and going on a little bit further we see that god says if you want to go back there he said the life of anything is in the what blood So he shed innocent blood. He took blood that wasn't his. And I want you to do those questions when you go home. And if you're listening, the question says, give an example of when you ignored the truth and you shifted the blame. Has anybody ever done that? You ignored the truth and you shifted the blame. I'm in this shape because of somebody else. How did it make you feel? What kind of results did it get you? We see how quickly the sin of Adam and Eve has bloomed down their family tree. That's why it's important for us to be careful how we live, because how we live doesn't die with us. Ooh, Did you know your choices don't die with you? If you have children, your choices can affect your children. Mm. A quick, impulsive decision has created calamity. Sin follows a natural degenerative process through our generations, and what we are doing to combat this is vital. What are we doing to combat the sin in our lives so that it doesn't affect our children? If we're arguing in front of our kids with our spouse, what are we doing to stop that so that our kids don't repeat our same cycles? If we're constantly spending more than we make, what are we doing to stop those cycles? If we constantly have anger issues and bad attitudes, what are we doing to stop those cycles? We see in verse 12 through 15 that Cain's decision has made his life, which was already difficult because he's been put out of the the temple, the paradise called Eden. uh, His parents have so not they've been put out of the paradise of Eden. Now he's going to be exiled himself. If you look at verse 12 through 15, for the second time, I'm not going to read it. Go back and read Genesis 4, 12 through 15. Cain's decision has made his already difficult life harder. The curse had already commanded on Adam and Eve that the ground that was producing is now gonna produce thorns and thistles, that work is gonna be laborious and hard. And now he's already learned how to work hard for his work. But here's the thing: God's gonna exile him. And in this curse, he's not gonna even be able to make the ground produce for him anymore. What he was, he's gonna to have to get a new job. What work for him was not its not gonna work. He can't even do what he used to do as a repercussion of what he's done. He has to find a new way to survive. Wow. We do need to read this. This is important because we need to see his response. God asked him in verse 10. He says. Verse nine, let's go to Genesis chapter four, verse nine. Let's read this. This is important because Cain is gone. He killed his brother. He lured his brother out and killed him in cold blood. Let's read what verse nine says. It says, then the Lord said to Cain. Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he said. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you see the attitude of him? He's talking to God. Am I my brother's keeper? What business is that of mine? So you see, he's not even remorseful for what he's done. At least Adam and Eve in shame hid. he's boastfully saying, am I my brother's keeper? Let's keep going. He says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then does he at least now say, Okay, I'm sorry, I I realize this is serious now? No, (laughs) he says, My punishment is more than I can bear. You killed somebody. You are the first murderer on earth. You have taken an innocent person's life because you are too baby to take the truth. You couldn't make the adjustment. So rather than make the adjustment, you figured if I get take him out, maybe i will be the favorite. He says, I can't bear this. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. You can never be hidden from God's presence. But he doesn't know that I will be a restless wonder on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. You got the nerve to wonder and fear for your own life after you just took somebody else's. There you go. The Holy Spirit told you to say that he became a victim. How much in our culture is everybody the what? Victim. You did wrong, but now you the what? Victim. That victim mentality will keep you from being able to progress in Christ. We say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And if God before me, who can be against me? And then we do what we call down south, po-mouthing. Not mouth-in, mouthing with an F. Poe mouthing we start to pull mouth and everybody poor me i'm a victim i can't do this because of this this is everybody's hard on me my life shut up nobody wants to hear that you are not a victim i know that sounds harsh but i said it like that on purpose we need to stop complaining all the time because on our worst day we blessed and we have more than we deserve if god let if god decided not to kill cain that was more than what he just heard he killed somebody And we still see the mercy of God rather than kill you. I'm going to exile you. And this is what threw me back that he killed this innocent man. And he says, whoever finds me will kill me. And and God, if God was one of us, we said, good. You deserve it. (laughs) But what does God do in verse 15? Oh, how we see the mercy of God. But the Lord said to him, not so if anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod as a vagabond. East in Eden, that the Lord still gave him mercy. Aren't you glad when we're so foolish not even to want to ask for the mercy of God, he gives it to us sometimes? Go ahead. No, nobody knows what that mark is. He He's put a mark on him and apparently the people will know what that mark is to know that God has marked him and if you can't kill him and that seven times it just means completion. In other words, that he, whoever kills Cain, they're going to get a harsh judgment. So he's letting him, and we he got to live with this the rest of his life. But God's mercy didn't let him die. He didn't give him the death penalty. Isn't that amazing? He's going to let him live out His days. How many times do you know that you deserve to get something that God didn't give to you? And not only did you deserve it, but your heart wasn't right. You weren't repentant. Not only did you do it, but you were glad you did it. Somebody did something to you and rather, than pay, and rather than pay them kindness, you paid them back and you got vengeance. You were glad that you got vengeance and you were angry about it and you were happy and hearty that you got vengeance on them. And still, even though God should have bust the cap in you, he still gave you mercy. Wow. What kind of God do we serve? That's long suffering. So we see Cain has a wife in verse 17, and we begin to see that God is is allowing the culture to develop because we see three things here as we get ready to to close after we see the grace of God. We see that Jabal is born, and to Jabal, we see the nomadic shepherds uh, come from Jubal. We see musicians, fun to Jubal because I like musicians because I'm a musician. I can can relate with Jubal, and we also also see Tubal uh, come from the line of Cain from, from, uh, one of Cain's descendants and, and he does blacksmithing, but we also see something else in verse 19 from Lamech, who is one of the descendants of Cain. Cain has made, uh, that, that, uh, that word means a fortress or city. He, he's made a place. He may be a wanderer, but he's made something for, his, for people to go and grow from, his family to grow from. So he's gone from an agrarian society to urban. But verse 19, we see that God created one man and what? One woman. Now we see polyamory or what we say, polyamorous relationships. We see how mankind is completely devolving. And now instead of loving one man and one woman, women are becoming objectified and property because of what? Sin. And we see constant uh, constant battles in the Bible where we see polygamy going with, with Jacob and Rachel and Leah, with Abraham and, uh, and Sarah and Haggai. Every time you see a polygamous relationship in the Bible, something is always going what? Wrong. If you don't believe me, Ask Solomon. We see the devolution. Solomon had other wives and they pulled him what? Away from God, didn't it? So we see the devolution. We see a theme here that sin, it's not getting better, it's getting what? Worse. So Lamech in verse 19 has married two women and he's created other people. And let's see this. Verse 23, it says, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zelah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounded me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Wow. Now we're going to see something. I'm about to show you something. This is how far we've stooped. We've gone from being ashamed of sin and hiding in the garden to being a little bit haughty and proud about sin to bragging about it. He didn't say I killed him to save my life. He said, I killed somebody who was trying for wounding me. He wounded me. He may have been trying to kill me, but I killed him. And now he takes and turns on his head the punishment. God came to Cain. He's using it as a badge of honor. Don't we do that sometimes? We use sin as a badge of honor that we become proud in our culture for what God says is shameful. Sound familiar? (laughs) And he says, if Cain is avenged 77 times, then Lamech will be uh, avenged 77 times. He didn't choose to forgive. He chose to kill the man. But Jesus flips it on his his head in the New Testament. And he says, how many times should you forgive your brother? 70 times 7. So Jesus is turning that thing what? Around. He's turning it back on his head. and, And so we see that it's going down and down, but we begin to see a bright glimmer of hope. Because right now it's not looking good for for the home team, is it? But the last scriptures, let's look at verse 25, and we're about to finish. Verse 25 says, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And I'm going to stop because I want to read that last section for a second. Y'all keep that up. On the screens you can take it off of the broadcast but leave it up on the screens i want you to notice something that there are other people there besides Cain. keep in mind that they uh, generally in genealogy don't mention women much in genealogy so we can assume that adam and eve had daughters and and that we see from the lifespan through genesis that people live for long amounts of time so that may answer the question why Cain is saying somebody would kill me because there's probably a lot more people there than just them. You have to realize this narrative is going across a span of time and these people live a long time. Methuselah lives over 900 years. So it's very possible that, that people have congregated and things like that. If you're wondering where do these people come from <laughs> and all these things, it's very possible. But uh, the Bible is giving us an overview Uh, And and so I want to look at this last thing in verse 26. Let's read this together. All the 26. It says, Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. And this is important. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. God will never be subverted. He will never be toppled or overted. That even though Satan has gotten into the heart of Cain, and Cain killed the person who had great faith and was pleasing to God. God raised up another. Isn't it amazing that even if you don't do what God wants you to do, sometimes we feel like if it, if we don't do it, it, won't happen. I want you to know that if you don't do what God wants done, he'll raise up another one. What did Hadassah's uncle say to her? He says, if you don't go, Esther, <clears throat> You're going to have to deal with that. But God will raise up another to deliver his people. And we see a bright glimmer of hope that God is raising up something. And he says, and at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. We see a glimmer of hope for the Messiah that's going to come. And we see that people, there are some that are beginning to pray. And many people argue over that scripture, verse uh, 26, about it being mistranslated. But it's not mistranslated. At that time, people begin to to call on the name of the Lord. I ask you in this time in which we are in, especially in the tumultuous times that we see in the church and in the world at large, as bad as the world is, it's time to call on the name of the Lord. Somebody ought to shout that. Write that in the chat. If you can, I will call on the name of the Lord. Somebody say, I'll call on the name of the Lord. If my people, which are called by my name, second Chronicles seven fifteen, would humble themselves and pray, seek my face uh, and turn from their wicked ways. Then what I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And Jesus has come now. And so we're at the end of the story, looking at this, we know that you can be saved, that Jesus has died for you. And the, the most powerful scripture that you need to know is for they that call on the name of the Lord what shall be saved if you're listening to this right now I'm pretty sure the people in this room right now are saved. but if you're out there and you're in the snow and you didn't make it or if you're 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 somewhere out in the web and you're sitting in your room and you know that you don't know Jesus those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved it's a promise it's a promise. It's not a maybe. It's not a possibility that if you call on Jesus right now, there's an old saying in the old Pentecostal church, they said, if you call on Jesus, he will answer prayer. If you call on Jesus, he will answer prayer. If you call on Jesus right now, he'll answer prayer. Yes, Amen. You can be saved today if you call on Jesus. This is the time I'm telling somebody that if you hear this, don't turn the broadcast off right now, right where you are, lift your hands and call on the name of the Lord. Pray for the world. Pray for America. Pray for the Uyghurs across who are being killed in China. Pray pray for the Ukraine and the, the people that may have their safety taken. Pray for those who are dying with sickness and without health care. Pray for those all over the world, not just that those things will cease, but pray that souls will be saved and that through all the dying parts of the world, through all the degenerative stuff that is happening in this depraved world, that a light will shine and that, thank God that those that come call upon the name will be saved. We're calling for brother David Nichols right now for healing in his body in the name of Jesus. Because why? Those that call on the name of the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord. We seek God for healing and believe God for a a good report. We believe it for brother Lefranil right now that God will heal him. And for brother Archie right now that God will heal him. And for brother Norton that God will heal him. And for brother Gordon that God will heal him. And for those that have unspoken prayer request that god will heal them and for sister dara that god will continue to heal her body and for sue uh uh, for sue and, and steve right now that god will heal those for all that need a healing we're calling on the name of the lord for you right now we're praying in the name of jesus for those that don't know jesus that tonight on this snowy cold night that you can know jesus right now that you can be saved for those who are who are are right now in a bad situation right now, and you're in a hopeless situation right now, I'm begging you, I feel the Holy Spirit unctioning my heart to tell you, just call on the name of the Lord. You don't have to have a fancy prayer. You don't have to have a, a, a large vocabulary. You don't have to go to a thesaurus to be able to find words to reach God. All you have to do is have a contrite heart and have a heart that says, God, I need you right now. And say, Jesus, Lord, I help you. I come to tell you that in my most my most downest moments, I couldn't get words out of my mouth. And all I could say was Jesus. And the Bible said that the Holy Spirit that knows when we need something can intercede for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And the Holy Spirit interceded for me. I've come to tell you that even if you're in so much pain and so much sorrow that you can't get the words out, if you'll call on Jesus and lift your hand, even if you can't open your mouth, God can. Hear what you're thinking and hear the intensity of your heart. And if you'll call on the name of the Lord even in your mind, God will deliver you and He'll give you freedom. God, we thank you for that freedom. And we declare it, believe it and receive it. In the name of Jesus, we believe your word that says that those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, somebody needs to be saved from addiction, somebody needs to be saved. From themselves, God. Somebody needs to be saved from a sickness right now. Somebody needs to be saved from sin right now. But God, I thank you that you are a multi-purpose God. No matter what we need to be saved from, you're able to do it, for our God is strong and you are mighty to save. And we thank you for that. We trust you for that. And we receive that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> ¿En